Joshua 10, verse 28. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. And he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel and he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it as he had done to Libna. Then Horam king of Giza came up to help Lachish and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon and they laid siege to it and fought against it. And they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. And he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron. And they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword, and its king and its towns, and every person in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Eglon, and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir and fought against it. And he captured it with its king and all its towns. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. Just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and its king, so he did to Debir and to its king. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev and the low land and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Joab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth Dor, on the west to the Canaanites in the east, and, and the west to the Canaanites in the east and the west, and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give them over, all of them, slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom, and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great, as great Sidon and Mishrapoth Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. 
And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them, just as the Lord had said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazel with fire. And all, these, and all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on the mounds did Israel burn, except Hazel alone that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took all the land, the hill country and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen, and the lowland, and the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel, and its lowland, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Balgad in the valley of Lebanon below, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left on the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan, towards the sunrise, from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon, with all the Arabah eastwards. Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, and ruled with Eor, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the middle of the valley, as far as the river Jebuk, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is half of Gilead, and the Arabah to the sea of Chinneroth, Eastwards and in the direction of Beth Jeshimoth to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, southwards to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnants of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth and at Edri, and ruled over Mount Hermon and Salakar, and all Bashan to the boundary of the Geshurites, the Makathites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sihon king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. 
And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak that rises towards Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments. In the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negev. In the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachis, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Giza, one. The king of Deber, one. The king of Gida, one. The king of Homa, one. The king of Harid, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Agilam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hepha, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron, Meron, one. The king of Akshva, one. The king of Tana, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jotnium in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Nafath, Dor, one. The king of Goim in Galilee, one. The king of Derza, one. In all, 31 kings. Be the meanest thing to do to now say to now say that we're actually studying a different passage, right? <laughs> Thanks so much for reading that. That's great. You've done a great job there. Today is actually um, going to be our last week in Joshua. Uh, we have got to the midpoint in Joshua. Some people might know there's 24 chapters. Uh, we've just got to the we just read to the end of chapter 12. Um, so we're going to take a midway break. And we're going to come back to it uh, in a few months' time. Uh, and we are covering quite a few chapters today, aren't we? Uh, so I thought it might be helpful for you to, uh, and for me, uh, to have um, a bit of an outline of these chapters. Um, and you'll see that in your Bibles. Uh, so if you want to just fold that open, uh, have it in front of you. From, from that diagram, you can see that in chapter 10, uh, it's mainly about the action against a coalition of kings that rose from the south of Canaan. And in chapter 11, it's mainly about uh, action against a similar coalition from the north of Canaan. That's the big distinction. Uh, but at first glance, the campaigns seem quite similar. In fact, very similar. Uh, have a look down there. Um, it starts off with, it's provoked uh, by this coalition of kings. It's the same thing that causes it in both cases. Um, the result of it's the same, almost identical. The same outcome. The kings are defeated and then their cities are destroyed. That's why we have that list of cities. 
um, in chapter 10. And then you get this summary kind of statement. Uh, in both, I've put the verses there, verses 40 to 43 of chapter 10, and verses 16 to 20 of chapter 11. Okay, chapter 10 is slightly longer, we know that, don't we? We did some last week and we did some this week. Uh, but, but the structure is the same. Uh, there's even a summary of each of these campaigns, and it's there in, verses, uh, 20, in verse 23 of chapter 11. So not only do you get the summary of each campaign, you get an overall summary in verse 23 of chapter 11. And it says this, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Are these campaigns just the same thing? Just a repetition? Well, it sounds like it, doesn't it? And what may not seem apparent at first glance is actually the difference in how long it takes to get each part done. For the kings in the north compared to the south to actually be defeated. In chapter 10, it all seems to happen quite quickly. So if you have a look, verse 28, it says, on that day. Verse 32, it says, on the second day of chapter 10. Verse 34 and 35, it says that day. And on, in verse 42, the, the, in the summary, it says at one time. It all seems to happen quite quickly in chapter 10. But in chapter 10, it all seems to take a lot longer. We're told that in verse 18, aren't we? It says in verse 18, Joshua made war for a long time with all of those kings. It might have felt like a long time for us to read it, but it actually only took five, seven minutes total, maybe a bit more. And yet in real time, this action took seven years at least in chapter 11. It says that for a long time, Joshua made war with all those kings. So there is a difference between the two. The difference is just how long it took. In the first case, it's over quite quickly. In the second case, it seems like, yes, there was an initial battle that was won the next day. But in terms of completely defeating those kings, it was going to take a lot longer. And it did. With such a long and exhausting campaign, there would be many times that Joshua and the people would get weary. And they'd want to give up. That's the first thing we might not see in this, because it's a summary. We think, okay, well, that's job done. That's the first thing we see, that it's a long and exhausting campaign. And they've got a lot. They they just need to keep going. For seven years. I don't know if you've ever done anything for seven years. Uh, I think the closest I've come is probably my uni degree. You know, that was only three. In fact, actually, I should have have completed it for seven years. I didn't even do that. Um, So I I ducked out at three years. Um, pathetic Um, but they would feel weary and want to give up that's how they felt then but let's remember that the main audience of these chapters is not actually the people who were there at the time they never had the book to read and the story of what was happening at the time 
Why? Why was it recorded? Well, it must be for people who are going to read about it. Not the people at the time this happened. They were in it. The people who were going to read about it. And so what that means is that this is actually an encouragement. Not for them, first and foremost, but for, for you and me. Uh, and for the, for the Christians that this was first, first read by. And they might have been face, facing some other things as well. For those facing exile and for Christians in the world today, there will be many moments when the opposition will seem too strong or the progress will seem too slow. And when when that's the case, they too, you and I, will feel afraid and will get dismayed. And that's why the encouragement of these, these whole chapters that we just read is do not be afraid. Or dismayed. Do you remember last week we looked at the first half of chapter 10 and we heard Joshua's encouragement, which was exactly those words? If you look at them in verse 25, chapter 10. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And without looking around too much, uh, perhaps from memory, what was the situation that was happening when Joshua said those words? There's very, something very significant that was happening at the time in which he said those words. It was the, it was the five kings. They'd just come out of the cave, finally ended the battle. They were just about to put the five kings to death. And at that point, Joshua said, not, well done, lads, you've done a great job, but this is what God has done and this is what God will do. So they had to have confidence because of what God has done. And I think that kind of situation, that kind of image that they had in their heads would have been almost impossible to forget, right? If that had happened in their lives, for them to try and forget that, Though it would have been a constant reminder for them. What Joshua makes clear is that this encouragement is what they're going to need in times ahead. That's why he says, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you will fight. (laughs) And we've just read all of the enemies that they're going to fight. It's going to be a long haul. The battle of chapter 11 is actually their biggest battle yet. And it's not just the quantity, although we're told that it's a multitude too many to count, like the sand on the shore. It's the capability of that army. These aren't foot soldiers anymore. They have war machines, chariots, and speed is on their side. And yet when the Lord speaks to Joshua in verse 6, what does he say? What's his encouragement? Do not be afraid of them. The same encouragement, isn't it? Do not be afraid. Now God hands them over to them, as he said he will do the very next day. But as we've said already, the subsequent battles took many years. And so they would need a reminder. They would need to keep you reminded. Do not get dismayed. It's going to take a long time. But God will finish what he started. 
do not fear is actually surely what's behind the mention of one last group in chapter 11. Kind of comes after the summary even, doesn't it? You get the summary in verses uh, 16 to 20. And then you get this mention of one last group in verses 21 and 22. It's up there on the screen. Who are they? Verses 21 and 22. Anakim. Anakim. Doesn't mean that much to me. Does it mean anything to you? No? Giants. Has anyone heard when they might have heard about these people before? No? Okay. In Numbers, when, when the spies were sent into the land, they said, the people look like giants to us and we seem like grasshoppers to them. And it was the Anakim. So the very fact that there's these, at the end of all of these campaigns, there is the group that out of fear, the previous generation didn't trust God, are seen to be just the end of a long list of people who have fallen to God's plans. And so do not fear is surely the message there, isn't it? Do not fear. The Lord will have the victory. There's going to be many times for them and for us when, when they thought that the task was too big or that the enemy was too strong. So when the enemy seemed too strong for them, they'd feel afraid. And when the progress seemed too slow, they'd get dismayed. That's how they feel. When it comes to God bringing about what he promised... There'll be times when progress is immediate for us and feels substantial. Maybe the time when you become a Christian feels like that. And there'll be times as well when progress is slow and seemingly insignificant. One comment on this passage that I read was this. God's power was at work, but in such a way as to call for endurance and tenacity from his people requires endurance it's a long slog God's power was at work but it's going to require endurance and, and his reflection that this is, is that this is our experience as well so he says God's power still works among us not necessarily in quick flashes but over a long time many days consist of washing your face brushing your teeth taking out the rubbish and attending your class So that is why we have need of endurance too. Christians today. God's power still works among us, but not necessarily in huge ways quickly. Some happens over a period of time. And looking back, we'll be able to see that. But at the time it feels like, oh, this isn't is this going anywhere? Am I making any progress? So we need, to, we need the endurance that comes from being able to trust him and to know that he's still at work. And the second thing we're going to see is that comes from recalling every victory. And uh, you might have wondered as we're reading, I mean, Verona did a fantastic job and I think if I had anything to give you, I would just give you a present just for a prize, just for reading that list because it's a long list, isn't it? But why the need for a list? 
It seems so impenetrable, doesn't it, to us? We're just like, gosh, oh. Let's read it again. The king of Macedon won. The king of Bethel won. The king of Tapua won. The king of Hipha won. Why the need for a list in the first place? We've had the summary of the campaigns. Isn't that enough? Well, to us, this seems so unexciting, doesn't it? And I can see the barracks falling asleep at the back there. Dull and dry. But actually, this is one writer puts it like this. He says, this is not tedium, but thanksgiving. And when we see it like that, we see what's going on here. This is thanksgiving. And it's not just general thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you, God, for taking down all of the enemies. Thank you, God, for getting us into the land. It's no, thank you, God, in specific. Thank you, God, you won that battle. You won that battle. Or when you won that battle too. It's actually an overflow of praise to God for all he's done and all he's accomplished. It is cause not for us to yawn, but for great joy and celebration. And so after each of those names were read, we're to imagine like a big shout of like, Hallelujah! Praise God! He's done what he said he was going to do. We're to imagine those jubilant shouts after each name was read. It's not just looking back to events within their lifetime either. You notice that the list starts all the way back in the life of Moses. Kings defeated at his time. Rather than being forgotten, they're going back through the archives and saying, let's do the full list of all God has done, all he has accomplished. And it's all here for us to see. God is faithful And as George said in the beginning, he's faithful to every last detail. You know, he can make big promises, but where's the detail? And here's the detail. He's been faithful. He's he's won every single battle. And the record is here to show us that. In the context of what we've been seeing just in chapters 10 and 11 then, praise... This thanksgiving must be an encouragement that we need to keep going and for what lies ahead as Christians. Praise, thanksgiving is the encouragement that we need as Christians. And it's, it's not a general thanksgiving, it's a specific one. And that will be the thing that gives us encouragement to keep going. To not be afraid when the enemy seems too big. Where, to, to not be dismayed when the progress seems slow. Uh, I'll go back to that guy again. He wrote this. He said, Much of our despondency comes from failing to see how much God has really achieved. It's true, isn't it? When we drill down, we think, Yeah, I feel like this. I feel flat. I don't, I'm not expecting for God to do anything much at all. I mean, I can barely get enough energy to put on the toast and, you know, get myself dressed, you know. Maybe that's because we don't have that expectancy because we haven't been thanking him for all that he has done. We haven't been acknowledging the fact that he's done this. And as Christians today, our list is way longer than this list. Because the victories for them stopped stopped here, right? Or we're going to read about some more, but... But they're in that time. And as Christians, we have way more to see of God's faithfulness 
Because we see that all of these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. And so we've got way more to recall and to thank him for, haven't we? We've got a a much longer list. I mean, if you wanted a list, go to Ephesians 1. Verse 3 to 14. Let's read it together. Notice it starts general. It says, uh, page 976, which doesn't have a page number at the top, but 977 does. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his promise, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. So we're standing here, looking back, and we're saying, God, you've you've been faithful. That's how you've been faithful. That's how you've kept that promise. That's how it's been kept in Jesus. And so the list we've got is, is huge. We can never stop praising God and thanking him for that. When God's people praise, it emboldens them to keep going. As they recall every past faithfulness, not in general, but in detail, it causes them to trust God for all that lies ahead. So that's the second thing we've seen. We've seen that if we recall Jesus' every victory, the same things happen. Thanksgiving, praise. Not fear when the enemy seems too strong and the opposition to being a Christian feels above us more than we can cope with it's more than we can cope with sure but it's not more than God can and as we feel discouraged or dismayed that the progress just seems slow there's days when there's days of our weeks isn't it when it doesn't feel like there's much progress as a Christian and yet we can look back thank God and see his faithfulness and that will cause us to have uh, joy going forward as well an expectation of what he's going to do um, let me just say a few things. If you're not a Christian here today, then actually these, the message is, do, is not do not fear, but actually there is much to fear. And actually we see that in this passage, don't we? 
that those who stay outside of the promises of God have much to fear. In fact, they have much to fear of him. Because the day when they meet him is going to be like that. And no doubt the error then was what is still made in error today, isn't it? I think Hannah helped me to see this. Uh, we were talking about it. She said that their conclusion was based uh, on, on, and their desire to fight the people of God was based on what they saw of the people, not what they saw of God. So they saw that the people were prone to, to failure, that they were fearful, and they thought, hey, let's have this. We can fight against them. In fact, they're puny, they're tiny. In human terms, our army was way more than theirs. And yet they were just looking at the, the people. And I think that's the error of many people today, is to look at the church and say, yeah, they're, stu- they're pathetic. I mean, how many people are here? How many people in the whole of Dagenham? And yet it would be a mistake, wouldn't it, to, to go from that thought to thinking that the God of the universe is, is pathetic. And that actually it isn't important. He's not important and meeting him is not important either. And I don't need to think about that. Because actually we see, don't we, that the opposite here we see in this chapter. There's a fearful thing when we meet him in judgment. If you'd like to send your Bibles to Psalm 2. Now this is the last passage we'll look at before we close. It doesn't have a page number either, but 448. And this is a helpful psalm to go away and to to look at if you're hearing this for the first time. We'll read the psalm, it's quite short. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned. Are rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This shows us what we've just seen, doesn't it? In Joshua. And yet it also shows us the alternative to acknowledge here and now that Jesus is the one true king. That he is the one of whom the Lord said, you are my son. And the one whom will be given all the nations of the earth. Bow before him.
And that creates a completely different story, doesn't it? When we're willing to bow before Jesus, he raises us up. He calls us his friends. And it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him from that day that is coming. Can I encourage you to have a think about that? God's not mucking about. He's giving, us to it, he's giving it to us straight, isn't he? He's telling us this because we need to know it. And I've said, haven't I, that being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't feel fear or that you won't be dismayed. But what will help you when you feel like that? It's knowing, isn't it, that Jesus' victory is assured. He's, he's done it. He's proven it time and time again. And so we don't need to fear those who seem to be strongly opposed to him. We don't need to be dismayed when the progress of, in, in our lives seems slow. Or, or maybe the progress of the gospel seems slow. We can keep going. Trusting that God will complete what he started. Lift your eyes as you recall what he has done for you in detail. And I'd encourage you to do this this week. You know, prayer's hard, isn't it? I mean, anyone put your hand up and say, I, feel, I find prayer easy. Well, this helps us to pray. Because it says, look, don't say general things like, thank you for your many, many blessings. Ephesians 1 may start like that, but it doesn't end there, does it? It says, thank you for every spiritual blessing, but here, here they are. And list them all. And I think that would be a great thing to do for us, wouldn't it, as we go away. is to think, how in my prayer time, you know, I can just take one or two things that I can, be, I can thank God that he has done. And I'm sure that that will encourage you, um, as, you as you look out for what, what's ahead. It will keep you from fear and it will keep you from being dismayed. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. Uh, We acknowledge that you are the one true king of all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. And thank you, Lord, that you have been the God of history, uh, the one who we see works out his purposes in history. The real people and real places that we see and read of here. And thank you that this is an encouragement recorded Not for the encouragement of the people then, but for us as your people. Please help us, uh, please use it to give us uh, confidence in you, to trust you for what you're doing in our lives. Please help us to, to come to you with thanksgiving, seeing all that you have accomplished. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.